Can you hear me yet? <laughs> Glad to see all of you here in the Lord's house this morning. We welcome you in the name of Jesus. If we have any visitors this morning, we especially welcome you and uh, want you to know that I am not the pastor here, that I'm just filling in today, so please come back again and, uh, and hear him when he's speaking. Excellent speaker. I want to call your attention to some announcements. First of all, there will not have we will not have library day today. Unfortunately, Miss Beth is unable to be here and we'll reschedule it for a later date, so look for that announcement. And a special announcement. The pumpkins are arriving this Wednesday afternoon around 3 p.m. And we need all the help we can get to help unload. So please meet us in the parking lot right out here around 3 o'clock on Wednesday. It won't take long if we have a lot of volunteers. And then join us for Wednesday supper at 6 and you get your first pick of the pumpkins. They'll be for sale at that time. So sign up for the dinner. The sign-up sheet is in your bulletin. Next Sunday, October the 5th, is Children's Sabbath Service at 9 a.m. So make a note of that. And there are other announcements in your bulletin. Please make, read those, make a note of those, and participate in everything that you can. Before we go into our praise time, I want to share with you this from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Will you stand and sing with us? Thank you. 
You are so great, so much bigger than us or anything we may be facing. And sometimes because of this, we look for you only in the extraordinary and the spectacular. But God, help us remember that you are in the little things too, the everyday things. Help us to look for you there so that we can see your greatness even in the smallest things. Bring us together now as we prepare to worship you. It is in your precious name we pray. Amen. If you will turn and greet your neighbor and children, come forward for the children's sermon. Because in life, you are going to run into dead ends. You're going to 
have to make choices. Sometimes you may walk for a long, long time and then discover that you're going to have to go back and start over and, and take another path. So God is always there to support us through our choices and through our walk in life. Um, in the scripture that I want us to talk about today, it comes from the book of Isaiah. And it says, God told his people, whether you, are, whether you turn right or turn left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. God is still there. So as we continue on our journey and as we go through this day and this week and this month and this new school year that we've just started, try to remember and try to listen. And I know that's hard for some of you little ones to think about, but try to listen for that voice to help you make those choices. Okay. So if you would, would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Dear Lord, as we travel through this day, through this year, through this month, we ask that you will help us to follow the plan that you have for us in our lives. And when we don't know which way to turn, please help us to listen for your voice so that you can give us directions. Amen. I love watching the kids. Aren't they cute? What a joy to be that innocent and carefree and just say what you want, when you want to say it, however you want to say it. Huh? Wonderful time. Do I have all the prayer cards? Let's bow together in prayer. O oh Lord, our God, we come before you asking for your mercy as we bring needs to you. We confess that we need you in our lives today. We need you every day, all the time. And we thank you that you are ever-present with us. When we are hurting, when we are worried, when we are depressed, when we are in pain, when we are joyful, when things are going right, when we stray off the path, we need you. People in our midst today need a touch from you too. We pray for a grandson, Guy Merlat, who will have surgery to correct a kidney problem. And we also pray for a child surgery this week. We ask, O oh Lord, for your healing touch to flow through the bodies of these children. We pray for the surgeons and all who will care for them. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you with these needs. And we pray for Rick Sawyer's family and for John Pope's family. We ask your blessing upon them and ask you, Lord, to meet their needs. And as we come into a time of 
study and worship, Lord, we ask for your spirit to be among us. Open our hearts to receive from you today. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and a will to do what you would have us do in this world. And we pray together now, as our Lord taught us, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture this morning is taken from the book of Romans. The first 12 chapters of Romans, Paul is teaching us what to believe. And the last four chapters, he focuses on how we are to live out what we believe, how we're to behave. So in Romans, starting chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. And to him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of God for the people of God. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his followers to go and make disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? Do I have to be a disciple before I can make a disciple? And if so, what does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? The literal translation of the word disciple is a learner but it carries with it a deeper meaning of one who follows the teaching of another. A true disciple is not only a pupil, but an adherent, an imitator of one's teacher. So if as Christians were to be imitators of our teacher, Jesus, I wonder how many of us could honestly say we're disciple of Jesus Christ. Most of us, if not all of us, would be quick to say that we believe in Jesus as the Son of God who sacrificed himself on the cross for our redemption. But believing is not following. Millions believe in Jesus. 
They sing praises in song. They attend worship services in thousands of churches throughout the world. They go and do good works. They believe in Jesus. In James 2.19, it says, Even the demons believe. But believing is not following. Many believe Jesus is important, but not central, not preeminent. Believing Jesus is Savior is not the same as letting Him be Lord and following Him. Jesus Himself once asked, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I love the way this scripture is expressed in the message. Why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you. The philosopher Kierkegaard once said that Jesus, what Jesus wants are followers, not admirers. I don't remember reading in scripture where Jesus urged people to admire him. To simply admire Jesus without attempting to change our lives to become more like him does nothing for the cause of Christ. But to follow Jesus is to move into a transformed life. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Simply put, what Paul is saying is since God is who he is, that beautifully magnificent, astonishingly powerful, and fascinatingly glorious Almighty God, we should give ourselves up to him and for him. As a disciple or follower of Christ, we should sincerely want to be transformed into His image. Do you want that? As His people, we should be radically different than those who are not His people. We're to have a fundamentally different life. One that is markedly distinct from the rest of the world. Counter-cultural rather than merely a subculture of our secular society. A subculture is a group of people with some distinctive characteristics, but who are still an integral part of the overall society. Whereas a counterculture is a group of people who live by a completely different set of guidelines to govern their lives. And if you read and study and walk through the pages of the Bible with Jesus, you can't help but discover that he was noticeably, definitely, outrageously countercultural. If his call to us is to follow him, and it surely is, then we'll not be able to blend into our society unnoticed. We will not. The old adage asks, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to prosecute you? 
Make no mistake. If you want to be a true disciple of Christ, it will cost you something. That's why Jesus said in Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying here that if you regard the claims of your family to be higher than his claim on your life, you can't be his disciple. Wouldn't you say that's pretty radical? He's saying we need to love him personally and passionately beyond any of our closest ties on earth. You see, following Jesus is not about something we do on occasion, like a part-time hobby, making quilts, collecting stamps, playing golf. That's something we can take up and put down anytime we want to, anytime it becomes too expensive too time-consuming, or too boring. And some of us approach Jesus in just that way. But our Lord demands that we live our lives for Him each and every day. Everything we do is to be done in Him and for Him. What's at stake here is the very honor of Almighty God. And a true follower of Christ is always concerned with how he or she represents him. And when we claim his name, that's what we're signing up for. That's why Jesus cautioned us to count the cost if we want to be his disciple. And we read in Romans 12 that we should present our bodies as living sacrifices. And the way I understand that is that we should be willing to deny our own selves, to give up our right to be right, to sacrifice our self-will and desires in order to serve the Lord and others. It's another way of saying what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily, and follow me. As Christians, how do you think we're doing with the job of denying ourselves? In our culture today, we're being trained to put ourselves first, above everything and everyone else. We're told we deserve the best, the highest, the newest, the most expensive. We're even told that we're worth it. We're being trained by the media in all its forms to get all we can, whenever we can, however we can, as quick as we can. And even in some religious circles, we're being told that as God's children, we can look forward to prosperous, easy, pain-free, carefree lives where we can ask for and expect the biggest house on the block, the job promotions we want, the favor of everyone with whom we come in contact, even the best seats on the airplane, and a parking space closest to the front door. In these circles, there is rarely, if ever, any mention of self-denial or self-sacrifice. And when I hear some of this, I just want to know, 
where does it say we're promised that kind of life? When we look at the life of Christ and his apostles after him, we don't see self-satisfaction or self-promotion or self-absorption. We see sacrifice, living sacrifice. So as Christ followers, we need to look elsewhere for training. Counter-cultural training. In verse 2 of Romans 12, we're told, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And our minds are renewed by the Word of God, the written and living Word, Jesus. And when we study His life, we learn how we're supposed to live. And in doing so, our minds begin to change. You know, Jesus saved my soul, but the Word of God saved my mind. Part of what it means to take up our cross daily means that every day we have to crucify self. And if we've been in church and Bible studies year after year after year, and day after day, and there's been no change in our thought patterns, the way we speak, our attitudes, or our behavior. What's the point? Worship, Bible study, prayer, Christian fellowship should always have the goal of transformation. Always. We should be growing in our walk with the Lord, growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and increasing in holiness, step by step by step. In our natural condition, our every inclination is to look for a way to live that circumvents the cross. But we'll never enjoy the blessing of resurrection in our daily lives unless we endure the hardship of the cross in our daily lives. That means giving up our self-will and following the way of Christ. And if you're like me, everything in me, in my flesh, everything rebels against denying myself what I want. I don't know about you, but it, it goes against my grain to love my enemies. It goes against my grain to forgive someone who has hurt me deeply. It goes against my grain to pray for someone who's been unkind to me. I mean, frankly, it goes against my grain to be like Jesus. It's what I'm called to do. And my old fleshly grain has to die in order for me to do it. And I want that. Do you want that? Listen to the words of Christian writer Jerry Harville. People today look to self as the highest authority. The watchwords of the modern cult of self are self-knowledge, self-esteem, self-actualization. And the philosophy is self-assertion. And the goal is self-determination. You've heard all these words. 
The God known as me is intolerant of discipline and self-denial. End of quote. Now this is a far cry from the model Jesus set for us when he said, I am among you as one who serves. This from the Son of the living God. This from the almighty, all-glorious Lord of Lords. In Philippians, Paul teaches this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He didn't say it should be kind of like. He said it should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. In our me-first society, this is radical. This is counter-cultural. This is the good shepherd who bids us to follow him, to imitate him, to be transformed into his image. How do you think we're doing with that? To be a disciple of Christ, everything that smacks of self-advantage or self-display has to be sacrificed, nailed to the cross, crucified. What's to be resurrected from that death is unlimited self-humbling, self-sacrifice, until we become self-empty. Jesus emptied himself completely for you and me. He told us in John 15, no servant's greater than his master. And he told us in Mark 10, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Christ introduced a radical new policy of greatness, and it was countercultural. To be great in the kingdom of God is to be a servant. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap wares, the sacraments, forgiveness of sin, the consolation of religion are thrown away at cut-rate prices, end quote. No questions are asked, no limits are placed, no requirements are listed, no sacrifice is required, and no personal cost is explained. Cheap grace. Bonhoeffer continues, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without discipline, communion without confession, grace without discipleship. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us you were bought with a price. Grace is costly because it cost God His only Son. 
There's nothing cheap about that. But cheap grace has come to us at a terrible price. Instead of calling us to follow Christ, it has called us to compromise, complacency, and indifference. It's not outright persecution of the church that hurts the cause of Christ. It's not a full-bore assault from Satan and all his emissaries that does damage to the church. Oh no. It's Christians compromising the truth. It's complacency and indifference in our discipleship. It's turning a deaf ear to His call to each one of us to follow Him. It's being able to blend unnoticed into a society that mocks and despises the Holy Lamb of God. And Jesus referred to Himself as the Good Shepherd. And he said that his sheep listen to his voice and follow him. I suppose he referred to us as sheep because sheep are dumb and stupid. They are. I'll share a few characteristics of sheep and see if you can relate them to somebody you know, maybe even yourself. Sheep are gullible, easily influenced vulnerable to mob psychology, jealous, competitive for dominance, have very little discernment. Sheep are stubborn, insisting on their own way, even to eating poisonous plants and drinking dirty water. They get into ruts, and they frequently look for easy places to rest. Sheep need to follow a shepherd. Otherwise, they wander off and get lost. They become strays. There are many, but one vitally important characteristic of any good shepherd is this. He goes ahead of the sheep and prepares the path. The role of the sheep is to follow. Jesus has gone before us to show the way, and it is the way of the cross, it is the way of sacrifice, and it is costly. So, are you a follower or a stray? As for me, sometimes I work very hard to follow him because I really want to. Many times, at the very best, I'm astray. Occasionally, you might wonder if I'm even part of the flock. And then, there are those inexpressibly sweet times when I stay on the path and experience the bliss that comes from pleasing Him. To be His disciple, to follow Him, to walk in His footsteps, it's not an easy path, but it is a way to which nothing else can compare. Nothing. And during those soul-stirring occasions when I get it right, just to have the privilege of hearing his voice, 
just to know the touch of his approving love and his boundless grace, just to praise the Lamb of God, just to worship the King of the universe, just to know that my life is bound up with the Christ of Calvary, is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And it is a radical countercultural joy. I want to close this morning by sharing a writing with you. I wish I had authored it. It expresses my feel. I aspire to it at least. The author is unknown. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I will not look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be silenced. My past is redeemed, my present is victorious, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, worldly prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I do not have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith in His Word, lean on His presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by His power. My face is set my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear, my victory unquestioned. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I must go till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. I am a follower of Jesus. Amen. Let us affirm our faith. We stand. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God, who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope, in life, in death, 
in life beyond death. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we bless you and thank you for the privilege of following you, the great Good Shepherd. And as we now respond with our giving, we ask your blessing upon our gifts that they might be multiplied and used for the advancement of your kingdom in Jesus' name.
I pray the Lord will bless you, that great, almighty God who loves you and sacrificed it all for you. Go out this week and be a follower of Jesus. Last week.